you know, relationships are first and foremost, and there's no question about that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I'll talk about it more during the summit, but, um, you know, I think success is first and foremost, those and happiness in this life is first and foremost, those that are closest to you, love and respecting you the most. Hello, and welcome to the American Dream Factory podcast. My name is Nick Smoot. I am your host. I'm the founder and CEO of Innovation Collective, where for years we have been working on ways to empower the American dream in communities all across the United States. We believe deeply that the American dream is not some sort of marketing cliche that traps people in consumerism, but is a shared global experiment that looks at how do we unleash the potential and magic of people and places to build the future. So we have been working tirelessly to bring in mentors from large corporations and to put together small group gatherings all across the United States where people can explore who do they want to become and what do they want to create. We have seen people start and build companies now worth over $100 million. And more importantly, we have people all across the United States who are building the tomorrow they want through community today. So with that said, the American Dream Factory podcast, we explore conversations with interesting people ranging from politicians to economists to local moms and dads to school teachers and today three brothers who have been a part of Innovation Collective for years and they range in age from 44 to 22. They come from the exact same parents and they all work in big tech. They work currently at Apple at Amazon, and at Tesla. These brothers have also worked for the CIA, for Facebook, for Microsoft, for John Deere, all sorts of crazy places. And this conversation ranges from, yes, big tech, yes, what they're doing and how they've learned it all. But more importantly, we touch on beliefs about education, beliefs about who and how to become the kind of person that the world really needs conversations about spirituality, family, everything in between. And it all ties into one big, nice bow, which is how to unleash the American dream inside you. So hope you enjoy it. Enjoy the Code Bros. Yes, that is their name. C-O-A-D, Code Brothers. And they're not just a bunch of bros. They are really fascinating human beings who've traveled all around the world together. They're intentionally building family connections and bonds amongst themselves and really strong community around them. So enjoy this dialogue uh, that explores everything, in my opinion, that we should be talking about and not the garbage that most media is discussing. So have fun. If you want to learn more about Innovation Collective, please do check us out at innovationcollective.co. We have innovation campuses across the United States that range from apartments, co-working spaces, office spaces, venture capital partners, all sorts of fun stuff. So hopefully uh, you find ways to unleash the American dream in your own world. And maybe, just maybe, this podcast can be a little step towards inspiring you to stop scrolling so much and actually do something meaningful. All right, let's go. Enjoy the code bros. All right, here we go. We're going to dive straight in. Um, I'm here with the Code Brothers, uh, which I think is an adorable and appropriate name for three brothers who have found their way into the land of bits and bytes and machines and hardware. Uh, but 
before we start unpacking your careers, which I think are fascinating, that span so many interesting companies and your different skill sets, uh, and we're going to go all over today, but I want to ask a question around your childhood because first off, I mentioned this earlier, we're chatting briefly, the three of you like hanging out together, like you actually talk to each other and there's families that don't have that, let alone like there's families that are all struggling to figure out how to find their unique creative sense of self. And you all three are very different, but you're all on paths doing it as a career that you're succeeding. So tell me about your childhood and maybe like ages too. Like, so maybe even starting with, do you want to go oldest to youngest? Like, what do you guys want to do? I think that's fair. Um, our child, this is Noah. Yeah, so you our would child, think that oldest, oldest brother thinks it's fair to go first. <laughs> it's like board games again. <laughs> right. Um, the things that things definitely from our childhood changed over time. So it'd probably either kind of share like how they changed a bit over time too. So, and Noah, how, how old are you now? If you don't mind sharing. That's great. Yeah. So I'm Noah Code and I'm 43 years old and living in Dallas, Texas. Awesome. Yeah. So um, I grew up, I, I was the first of five kids. Uh, there's three brothers. We have two sisters. And for the longest time, it was just my sister and I until our parents decided, same parents decided to have another set. So this FYI there, it's me, then I'm a, a sister, Sarah, um, then a sister, Hannah, and then Josiah is 18 years younger than I am. And Elisha is 21 years younger than I am. And so we've had, we've had quite a span, same parents. Um, growing up, I was, uh, I was my parents' first kid. They were pretty young. They decided that um, I went to public, private school up to third grade, and then they decided to homeschool. So I grew up homeschooled. Uh, we lived on a little farm outside of Dallas. And was the private school a religious bent as well? It was, yeah. It was a Christian private school. But um, cool. as the story goes, uh, one of the kids said, shoot, or something like that. My mom's like, that's it. I'm taking you out. No more bad language. Sorry. I never knew why y'all were <laughs> left. Yeah. Sounds about right. <laughs> right. Sounds about right at that time, at least. And um, things changed a lot in our childhood uh, over time. So we grew up in kind of a different environment. Let me tell you, it'll be great to, when they, Joe and Eli tell you too. So um, I milked a goat every day, um, twice a day. Like we had goats and chickens and everything because couldn't, there was no such acres? thing as black. Like have acres outside of Dallas? Did you have? Yeah, acres? we had a couple of acres and a small farm. And um, my dad had an electronics lab in the back and I would go and solder his electronic circuits for him. I was probably soldering with a soldering pencil before I could write with a regular pencil. I could pencil. write out of the pencil, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and, um, and that was a lot of fun. And uh, and and at that time, like it was a pretty strict environment. I wasn't allowed to watch any TV. We had one tiny little tube TV that was like tw twelve inches black and white with a cover over it all the time. And I wasn't allowed to like watch uh, any Star Wars, or listen or read any Star Wars books or listen to anything to do with Star Trek or Star Wars. And I, I was just, I wanted to. Was there like a reason behind like those Star Wars? Was it just stay out of that and focus on classics or what was the? Yeah, yeah it was like at that time, it was like all that stuff's of the devil. <laughs> I, wasn't, so, I wasn't allowed to watch the Smurfs. Like, I feel like there's like some. Well, yeah, the Smurfs is like. like right oh yeah like that's the like, Smurfs was like, was like a whole up. nother level like that was like beyond like that mm. was like that was really, really bad oh yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah and um yeah and so and so it was it was a it, it, let's say sheltered kind of environment and uh, <laughs> so, 
say the least. And then being homeschooled out on a farm, um, we weren't uh, really allowed to go outside and play in the front yard until yeah. evening time and stuff like that. And uh, there weren't really any other kids around. We got to Were see you friends. homeschooled all the way through? Uh, yeah, all the way through yeah. high school or high school. Yep. And um, what was it? Josiah, hold on. What when you're inserted into the picture, are you homeschooled on like day zero? Like, like here we are, and then you're given a goat as well. Or what was mm. your like day zero for Josiah? Uh, let's see. Well, my parents separated when I was like eight, which is right okay. when I was going into the school system, which basically made it impossible to be homeschooled with how much other stuff you know they're both doing. So I was yeah. basically in in uh, private school since day zero. So wait a second, you said something that I think is interesting. When you're eight is when you started school. So like, was this like unschooling of like, like the five to eight? Or is this just like you having a brain lapse? What happened from five to eight? I guess I was homeschooled. I, or what is eight? Uh, what's first grade? Is that like seven? Yeah, so no, like six. So like five is like typically like when you start like kindergarten. And then first yeah. grade is like six, seven is usually like second and then eight. Uh, and it's like that gap, like seven, eight. So like uh -huh. not in a way, because like you're wicked smart and kicking ass. <laughs> but like, it's more of, um, I'm fascinated because literally you could say that now in like towns, people are like, oh my God, your kids should be reading at three. Mm. Um, what was that like for you from, from like, do you remember four till eight? Like, did you... Mm. Yeah, I mean, I guess I was homeschooled at that point, you could say. Um, yeah. Learning uh, things, reading small books. and. Mm -hmm. My mom's, I mean, my mom's a teacher. So besides like by education, she's, she's very, she's very passionate about education. And I think that's going to play out in all of three of our stories today um, yeah. is how much that instilled a love of education for us. But she had us reading um, very young and, uh, you know, my dad's a scientist, so it's uh yeah we are exposed to like learning topics and the love of education very young um yeah I just think I didn't start probably formal school uh till I think halfway through first grade um and I'm September or whatever so I probably was like older seven or maybe eight starting I was always about a year older in my classes yeah. and, and I'll you? say oh on that the interesting thing too is like I, I like what Joe started about like uh parents being involved having been homeschooled my whole time and then trying to catch up in college and things like that and seeing how well successful we are. And, and my kids actually are in private or in uh, public school now that I, I saw kids at, at college that had done way better than, than, um, than they had a lot of prerequisites let coming into college that I didn't have. But what I found really is the decisive factor is the amount of involvement from the parents. Like our parents really were involved. My dad took me on trips around the world for working on, on tech projects and brought me into tech projects. And we talked about science all the time. And mom was making sure we had things to work with and, and learning material. And I see that now in my kids. I have three kids now um, that are 13, just turned 12 and nine. And, um, and if you put a little bit of attention on there, be in there with them, ask them about it, get involved, help them out. I see I've seen kids that really have parents that really care about their education and encourage them and on not just education, but in good character too. Right? Yeah. make all the difference yeah. in the world. Well, you, you said something though, Josiah, and then I want to jump to, to Eli. You said your parents separated when you were like eight. And you're, you're, you didn't like, you're not on heroin on a street corner and not saying like everyone ends up that way if their parents separate, but like, 
for a lot of people, that's like a pivotal, like, like hard turn. And then you have Eli who like is even your younger brother. And he's like, he seems normal too. Like, <laughs> like I'm getting to know Eli more, but like, but like from a legitimate question, what was that like as like a middle school kid, like as your parents are trying to understand being separated as vulnerable as you want to be not saying like get like super deep, but is there, is there insights you have from your childhood that like, this is cool. Like it was, it was important to me what I found is valuable that others might learn from here. Cause you're not alone in having separated parents. Right. right? Yeah. Unfortunately it's, yeah. A, it, it's a very po- common thing, but um, yeah, I mean, I think obviously it had a big part to play in all of our lives. Um, however, I think the one thing that I've always been so grateful for whenever like this topic comes up, that I have to like talk about because I'm so grateful for it is how much our parents like wanted to be involved in our life and like stayed involved in our life despite like what they were going through and you know whatever legal stuff was going on um, I feel like we were mostly shielded from that um, but yeah I think like you know I think what's more almost more unfortunate than the fact of like the divorce rate or the separation is that like for a lot of people that that means that like one of their parents says like I don't want anything to do with my kid because it reminds me of this or that Um, and I think that's way more detrimental Uh, I would rather have two parents that are very loving and involved but not together over the other the the data shows that too you're spot on Um, I've talked to a lot of uh, superintendents school counselors child therapists child psychologists and resoundingly the data shows that the parents are like not functioning well if the parents can actually find a way to respect each other and then engage with the children in meaningful ways like that the kid's way better off like Mm. um Mm. that's awesome and so then you went to a private school Mm. and did you go all the way through graduation or what was your your pattern yeah uh let's see basically i mean we swapped private schools a bit here and there um, but yeah, basically we did stay in those schools. Um, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool. And then Eli, you, did you, uh, were you on the private school path, homeschool path? Just got to go. Like, what was your education? Yeah. So I think, um, I think I might be the only child out of the family that was re- yeah. In the school system pretty much from kindergarten all the way through. And uh, definitely there, we, there was a couple private schools that we attended along the way, but I think we, um, especially for my childhood, one of my main, and, and Josiah and, and my sister um, were at a school called Classical Christian Academy, and it's like a yeah, classical teaching method. And um, I think that's helped a lot. Uh, a note on the, the, the family also, though, and, and divorce and, you know, I, growing up with that, um, it I feel like a very strong aspect of that not being as hurtful or as impactful as it could have been is just that uh, they still, even though they went through a lot, and I think there were definitely some periods where there was more friction between them. And I think that definitely rubbed off on me and, and, you know, my siblings, but I think over the long haul, they still talk on a fairly often basis and they like, and we still do holidays together. Um, they're very respectful to each other and they're very like, they express, um, yeah, they're just very still kind to each other and respect each other, even though they're, they're apart. And I think that is, 
been one of the main factors for it not having a, a, a negative effect on us as much as it could. Um, yeah. But, yeah. Oh yeah. Go for it. Oh um, yeah. So on the, the school account, um, I also remember on the involvement, my, my mother would, even I remember from a young age, we would, she helped me read when I was needing, you know, more reading um, experience. And I think I was behind almost in, in the reading, but then she worked with me with going through reading material and I ended up being, you know, top of the class in terms of reading. And I think that's something that still stays with me today in terms of able to comprehend comprehension for reading and things like that. So definitely there's that involvement that pays off in a lot. Um, and I think there's also the, uh, one of the, the biggest factors for me is, is pitting the child in places where they can kind of prove themselves um, to themselves and building confidence in the child is something that our mother was always really good at pitting us in competitions and fairs and, uh, you know, different teams, things like that. And just give a, gave us opportunities for us to kind of um, experience our talents and our skills and, and learn what those are and then build the confidence because I feel, you know, people are capable of so much. It's just a lot of times they don't have the confidence or they don't know that they're capable of that, right? And so if you can just show people that you really are capable of um, a lot, any person is capable of a lot. And I feel like culture tells us that we're not capable as much as, you know, we truly are, especially for children. And I think that children are, um, there's very little expectations placed on children, which I think not that you want to have negative expectations or that, you know, harm the child. And I think that's, uh, a problem in some areas, but I think a healthy setting of expectation that my child is capable of achieving things and, and, um, is, and can be successful, I think went a long way for us developing our talents and our confidence. Um, yeah. Well, and I think the pendulum has swung so far the other way due to child labor and due to other things in the U S in particular, and, and us really, coining this concept of like a, a mass media marketing engine that drives our GDP and capitalism has, has softened children post industrial revolution moments. We got this weird thing called the teenager. It used to be you're a child then you're an adult and you made things and you worked and you went from like, I couldn't do it to now like I have a place in an identity and a belonging to contribute value to my tribe and my family. And now we live in this world where legitimately adults children alike and these teenagers are are told that their brand is you're a consumer and they're literally called consumers the mm -hmm. consumer index and that's terrifying like that is not your identity you're you're a creator you're a co-creator you're a builder you're a maker you're a creator not a consumer should be something we hold on to and as a as a word picture i like to think about most children and adults now in society like baby birds sitting in the nest that no one has taught them how to fly no one has taught them how to sing no one has taught them how to hunt and instead nor care for others and so instead you have society be like it's cool stay in the nest and so we have adult birds sitting there that just squawk with their mouths open waiting for someone to drop something in their mouth and they're like Rah! and no one knows how to push them out of the nest anymore because we're afraid to offend somebody so it sounds like your your mother and father created 
time and space and experiences intentionally and probably unintentionally as well that exposed you to things that um, allowed for certain flexing of certain parts of your mind or your muscles or your creativity. Are there cornerstone words or experiences that you would capture this in that like maybe it's a thread that you see that runs over, I mean, 20 plus years, right? That your parents consistently beat a drum on in different education environments, different domestic environments that they weren't together. And yet still there's like threads that are authentic that might we dare to say that are important, true and meaningful for raising children. And, and that a lot of people don't like to dance around this. They're like, oh, you know, do it your own way. But there's something good here that, that calls the human kind of primal self. So do you have a word for uh, things your parents expose you to? I think each of us may have a, a different thread. For me, one of the key threads was responsibility. So I, it's really been on my heart lately as a man that's gone through a lot of personal development and has kids now and everything that one of the, in listening to some Jordan Peterson stuff I like, is that one of the beauties and benefits of, uh, I think, of being a human, I'll say being a man in this world today, is getting to be responsible, getting to do things well, getting to be able to handle your life well. So my dad never paid for us really just to have something off the bat. He's like, Look, I'll help you figure out how to get earn the money, or I'll figure out, or I'll pay for half of it. You can figure out how to earn the other half. Or I had to melt, I milked goats and took care of a couple hundred chickens and horses and, and animals every day. And so there's a sense of like, take some, take responsibility. Like, if you want something, great. I'm not going to hand it to you. Go for it. I have my kids now. They come to me all the time. Dad, can I have money for this and this? I'm like, look, I'll help you figure out how to bet, how to earn it. We'll figure out a business. We'll figure out some chores. We'll figure out a way for you to get it. So that that's one thread. I love it. You you your thread was responsibility. Josiah, what's your thread? <laughs> I mean, um, I don't know if like this is the thread. I mean, obviously there's a lot going on, but kind of hearkening back to um, you were asking me about like my early school days, and you're talking about that unschooled movement, and you know I think my I think as far as education, which is something we're all pretty passionate about here in the Code family, like um, I, I do think there was kind of like this unschooled uh, approach to like my my parents have always been un, they have been conventional in some ways that Noah could probably tell you about, especially or um, but in a lot of ways they're very unconventional, and um, I think they might even as far as like school goes like it was never about I guess just the rules and to do everything right like yes like we were encouraged to get good grades but it was always I feel like it was uh education and the love of learning first and school second and one of the ways that played out is that um we from the beginning I remember like uh like third fourth grade and like looking at those kids that um, you know, we get the awards for perfect attendance and knowing that I would never be one of those kids and repeatedly, like one of the main complaints, like teachers would have with my parents is like, why is Josiah like not at school? Like as often, where were you, where were you? I mean, it was all sorts of stuff, whether it was like robotics competitions or, you know, uh, speech, speech competitions or, um, I don't know it was just always something and but you know it was like if I had like a crazy weekend doing a robotics like in some other state 
and I came back and I would just be like, mom, I can't go to school tomorrow. Like I'm, I'm burnt out. Like I would be okay. You know, like, yeah. or if I had some other like crazy thing I was working on or like during college applications, like there was times I would miss school for like just grinding on college applications. You're such and- a failure. I mean, <laughs> right. Had perfect attendance, right? It's yeah, exactly. Yeah. Part of the metrics we try and we try and uh, distill down learning into something that's uh, repeatable to create mediocrity, so that we know we can get the, the masses across the line. And yes. in that, too many parents and children embrace that as the rule, when really it's just something to catch the mess. And the, the issue is when the system starts to think we all must follow that rule. And that's where you, you nailed it earlier. I think, no, you said everyone was deeply engaged. I heard as they were deeply engaged, they were deeply engaged for your parents across all three of you, that level of engagement and um, intentionality too, um, and giving you that freedom, Josiah, to like yeah. kind of God forbid play in your mm-hmm. co-creation of your future, like mm-hmm. that you actually played a role. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's special. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to share before I jump to Eli on the kind of a thread of what you saw with your parents? Um, yeah. I mean, just that, that, you know, played itself out like Noah was saying earlier, as far as that being maybe one of the strongest um, effects of our education and just that seeing it play out in, in college. And I mean, there's almost this like rebel twist to it of like, yeah, like education isn't, it never felt like something I had to do. Um, and that made it so much more fun. And I mean, that played out to college, you know, like it became a common trope when I would call like my mom and I would go through for an hour, all the different organizations I was in, the countries I was traveling to, like the applications and the research I was doing. And then she, at the end, she'd be like, oh yeah, aren't you in classes? And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, classes are fine, whatever. You know, it was, so it was like, okay, like classes are a thing you can do and like, they're good, but they're really just like a starting place. And I think yeah, that was something that, yeah, was kind of it's instilled. Like, it's like an access point. It's an access point to data and information and community. Yeah. And people think the goal is the class. Like you're, you're, you're onto something so beautiful. Like they gave you a chance to explore, it feels like, mm-hmm. uh, and encourage mm-hmm. that, which is, is rare. I, I, and I think it's because too many people abdicate their own responsibility coming back to what Noah was saying too, like having the, the, the privilege to get to be responsible for your own outcomes uh, and then your parents giving you guys uh, rope, might we say, to, you know, try and like go explore versus just being held on some tight leash around a corporate structure of education or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. That's rare. Uh, Eli, what uh, if, if you could describe like a word or an experience or a thread that you think about for your your childhood experience with these two humans that you just ended up with, mm-hmm. uh, your parents do you see one that kind of threads between Josiah and Noah and to you or just a distinct one for yourself? Yeah. I mean, so it kind of touches on what Noah's talking about responsibility, even Josiah, like freedom. I think uh, for me, the word would be trust uh, between the child and the, and the parent. Um, And I see that there's from a young age, it, they, give opportunities, you know, they, sometimes we would just spend the whole day, my brother and I, I remember when we lived on 10 acres, we would go out in the morning into the, the woods and not come back until, you know, late at night. And my parents were, you know, trusting us to get back on time, be okay, and um, gave us that ability to have, fill that 
responsibility or that freedom to um, be on our own volition and make our own choices, right? And I think that played out throughout our throughout growing up in terms of uh, in in classes, or I can just say, "Hey, mom, I'm going with this friend after school, and you know maybe." Um, I'll be back pretty late, but, uh, you know, just let her know, or sometimes I just come back and she's like, oh, cool, like, hey, um, and there's this level of trust, and I think it's a hard thing, right, because if you try to do this too late, like in high school, then you can't, it, it's a lot harder to build that trust between child and, and parent. Um, I think the goal is to, by the time of college, the parent should have full trust in the child that they're going to go off to college, they're going to have a great experience and that they don't need to worry about anything. That's like, it's a hard goal, right? But that's, I think what the, the aim is, is that by the time of college, you can have full confidence in your child that you know who they are as a person. They know, uh, at least have a good idea of who they are as a person and you can trust that they're going to be okay, right? And I think that's one of the um, markers of kind of, of, just dysfunction in our culture, I think, of that there's so much fear from parents when their kid goes to college. They have like, you know, I don't know if my kid's going to be okay. Like, I, I don't know if, um, and, and of course, there's some of that that is just natural, right, as a parent. Uh, but I think there's this idea of, of building trust between the child and the parent throughout the upbringing, putting responsibility on them, giving them chances to prove themselves and prove themselves trustworthy. And so that way throughout high school, you can have that relationship. And of course, I think one of the reasons it's not done as much is because it's risk and, and they're not going to prove right every time, right? There's going to be times where they break that trust and they, and then you have to rebuild it and it takes work. And if you give your child responsibility, you're also giving them the possibility to, you know, fill in that responsibility. But I think it's that ability to relinquish the control on the parents in a um, progressive amount so that by the time they graduate high school, the, the parent can have full confidence in their child that they're going to live a successful life. And so I think that's one of the main threads I see um, and, and, you know, definitely saw a lot of contrast in my high school when, you know, uh, my classmates were talking about how controlling their parents are, how um, you know, they can't even, they can hardly do anything without letting their parent know what they're doing at that time. And, and, and then even in college, I still see it where, you know, the parent does everything for the kid. They like help them pick their major. They, I mean, they help them pick all their classes and they're just very, and so I think not that all of that's wrong per se, I think it's just how you're going about it. And I think that, um, I think that building that trust is just super important to and and right there's a difference between being involved in a child's life but also being um kind of hands-off and there's that mix of, of trying to get the right mix of that right but i think if you do it right then it builds a lot of self uh autonomy in the kid and and the child to then be able to use that to pursue their own goals and dreams in their life so when and if you think about how many people Gallup did a poll? I don't have the exact numbers. I'd have to pull it up right now, but it was a significant number of people who are actively disengaged and passively disengaged, like a major majority versus people who are engaged in their work. And the reason why that these people are passively and actively disengaged is lack of agency. 
because people don't know actually how to go like do a job or a career and like plug into it and like own it. And so they're, they're given these tasks to do that are just menial or they're put on projects. They don't really feel like they're doing anything important. Why? Because they can't manage their own life. And the corporation doesn't know how to like use some of the skills and talent. And so you see people come in with agency, God forbid, who've been empowered, who've been put in these like awkward situations that know how to take control with a sense of self and drive. And they just shoot through the corporate ladder because these people are like, let's go. Come on, guys. We're going to go do a thing. And everyone's like, wait, did someone say you could do the thing? You're like, yeah, but we can go do the thing. And like that, there's it's like, you're dangerous. You know, I, I um, gave a talk once on, we need magicians, not machines. And it was this discussion around children and adults operating the workforce more like machines, waiting for someone to program them and then hit go. And they do this rote task over and over, whatever it is. But no, 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 we need people who are dangerous, who can like cast spells and do those things. And it comes to a certain set of skills, which I called the rules of magic. But one of the most important ones was authentic sense of self. Like that's the core to being a magician. You've got to know like why you love what you love at your core. And in that, you become dangerous, but you can't actually know authentic sense of self unless you've been given that space to explore that. If someone's always telling you what to do, you're screwed. You'll never be empowered. So I mean, what you're saying is so true, Eli, about that trust and how hard it is for, for parents and the outcome in society. It's been detrimental to our economy. It's been detrimental to our political system. It's been detrimental to our social system, our healthcare system, because people don't have agency to even say, who do they want to be? What do they want to create that adds beauty and value to the world? They can't espouse those things. Most people can't espouse those things. Yeah, no, yeah, jump in, man. Yeah, I'll say one other thread that I think ran through all of our lives that encouraged us in that direction, and Joe and Eli can talk to this too, is that um, like our parents came with such a beautiful heart for something bigger too. Like they were um, solid Christians and had a passion for the Christianity. It wasn't just like, oh, we go to church on Sundays. No, it was a passion. And my mom had a lot of passion for it. And I grew up listening to incredible praise music, going to just, a pe- I was surrounded with people with a lot of passion. And I think that passion really transmitted through my life. And I, and I think my brother's <laughs> lives too. And, and it was also the sense of like, you know, you're a unique gift from God. Let that light shine, let that out. And, and that, ties to it so that was definitely a big part of my life of like you know be explored be yourself be out there um and you have a role to play in a larger narrative right you you... yeah there's something bigger in your life than just you some of my favorite memories from childhood were doing um uh community service events feeding the poor helping pick up trash in the neighborhood i now have a passion for picking up trash i do it with my kids regularly i've run a meetup group in dallas around it like that sense of like, we're, we're part of a bigger system. We're part of a community um, is essential. And I think a lot of people have lost touch with that. I agree. Absolutely agree. It's interesting is I think it gives you as a child, something that's kind of a conviction or something to, to obsess over a little bit when you have uh, some Judeo-Christian narrative or like even parents who are like hippie parents. Like if your parents have a conviction around something else, it transitions into kids around like the eight to 12 age where you really start to hook into it from like just fun to all of a sudden you ponder, okay, they have this, do I have this? And if they, if you don't have the, this, then what is your, this? Cause that the, this then drives your 
curiosity, your learning, your, your explorations, and helps you start to define pathways to trying to attain a role in a larger mythos. And if we don't have that, like you're, you're off your rails. And like people have full sail since the eighties been abandoning community and religion and all these things that arguably there's some like really sad things that have happened due to religion. Sure. We can point to it in Canada, we can point it in the U S can point to it around the globe, but it doesn't mean that a larger narrative and a mission and purpose and role that you're created to create and a role as a, cre a creation and a creator is not your identity. And even if it's fake, damn, we're a lot happier when we're playing that role. Like, I love, I, I love that point. Like my personal spiritual journey has gone in a different direction. Um, but that sense of that installment of what you're talking about, that, that fire, that passion, that creator, that your soul wants to connect to something more than just the being a consumer definitely got really well instilled, installed and has made a huge difference. When we, we, we live there, like we, when you consume and do nothing but consume, you literally get obese and you die. Like when you just shove stuff in all your ports, like you're overdone, like you've got to put something out. And, and we have joy. That is, that is the American dream, right? It's a, a, the shared American dream is to go have agency and go create something. And that was a global experiment on a piece of dirt across an ocean where everyone's like, yep, that sounds way cooler. I want to go try that thing where I get to go create a future I want. And I need my neighbors. Let's go make a thing. And now we've exhausted that. People are like, what now? It's, it's a little crazy. So let's, let's pivot over a little bit into like, um, kind of, we've talked a, a touch on family and upbringing and agency that you guys have found some great principles. But when I, when I now think about jobs, future, you know, building a future you want, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think each of you have found how to use specific skills that you believe you have to add value to organizations and to people and to your own lives and you're enjoying it. That's not the typical life for most people in society now in, in this stage phase of capitalism. Uh, so what, let's start with this. Like, what are you using as your skill set first? And, and like, and how are you adding value to the world in that? And let's back into like, how did you get there a little bit? Like, what do you, let's get into some theories too on the future. What should people be doing? We'll play there in, in a little while, but like, let's start with youngest first. So let's go to verse now. Cause Eli, mm -hmm. you're at college right now. Like you're wrapping up fourth year, third year. Uh, technically fourth and a half. Uh, okay. Okay. Yep. Fourth and a half. But like you're at college right now about to depart and you've been doing some internships. So like fill me mm -hmm. in on the skills you're adding that you believe are yours and how you're adding value to the world and like who's asked you to add that value or who you plugged in with to try to try and test it like open the kimono let's go like what skills do you have and how are you adding value to the world yeah so uh i had an interesting journey i mean so our father's an inventor right and my oldest brother's computer science programming josiah both my older brothers are so i had a little bit i started in that as um been and programming and really enjoyed it. I did projects with Josiah throughout school, uh, high school, even a little bit middle school. And we would program things together. And, um, and then over time I found, oh, I really like doing the front end of software, which is more of the visuals, what people see. 
um, when they're using a software. And so I still, and it's kind of that whole journey of figuring out what, you know, what's the past? What does my father do? What do the people around me do? Right. And then what is my unique value and, and where, how does that define me and how can I, how do I play into that? Right. So throughout um, school, doing some of those skills, I also picked up 3D modeling and super enjoyed it throughout high school. And did, um, I think also I had really great people outside of school. I, I was a part of a maker community, Gizmo and Coeur d'Alene. Um, and it was just, just a great place to explore different talents, uh, different skill sets and have someone and have people that in my life that are encouraging that and um, helping me develop that. And so in college, I started as a computer science and virtual technology and design uh, double major, short, shortened to BTD. That's kind of like 3D arts, uh, game arts, uh, digital arts kind of major. And I decided that I, what I really like is the visual so much so that I could kind of do away with the programming. And I, not that I don't like programming, I like it, but I just like the visuals more. And also I like the ability to uh, see a product, brainstorm what that product could be and be more on the strategy side, which if you're in the UX, user experience, user interface side of uh, the pie, then you have the ability to define a lot more of the direction rather than just, um, for me, that was what I enjoyed most. And so I ended up switching into an arts major of, and focusing, and also I'd been doing graphic design on the side uh, throughout this time in high school and college doing freelance. Uh, it kind of started in the, in the website, doing websites for people, but that naturally bled over into doing um, branding projects, doing uh, brochures, you know, all, the whole range slideshows when I started out to whole brand guidelines and defining company um, values, things like that. And so that was something that I'm still trying to, I, that's kind of like the candy uh, for me is the branding projects. But I think recently, um, this past, about a year ago, I was split on, do I go down this branding route or do I go down this uh, user interface? Um, so like for people who aren't aware, it's software, the what software looks like basically and the buttons and um, and then also the structure of the software too, that's more user experience and how the software works. And so uh, do I go down the UX, user experience, user interface route or branding? And um, I think for that pivot point, it's still something I, I might switch later, but I decided to, I, I enjoyed them both about equally, but I realized that from my unique background and experience with tech companies and, and the programming side that, I wanted to leverage my background in what I currently do. And so going into the user interface uh, realm is somewhere where I feel I can still use that background of programming experience and software development experience, small tech kind of startup experience, and then apply it to uh, what, what I'm working on and, and, and my expertise in the job. And so I think that's one reason why I've been able to excel, uh, even though I've only been in this category in about you know two years, um, maybe. And I mean, I was doing programming of front ends, which is similar uh, before that. But uh, so yeah, I think by leveraging the background and combining it with um, figuring out what I really enjoy doing, and apart from you know 
taking in account my background, but then also taking in account my own interests. Um, I feel like I was able to find a really uh, great niche for me that I think combines some of my, my skill sets. Well, I think what you're saying there too, so not a lot of people understand how to, to audit themselves and what do they actually enjoy. Mm -hmm. uh, so having that ability to already know that about yourself and then look at skill sets, market niche, all those things and know too that you have a wide future, man. Like think about like Tony Fadal. Have you ever seen uh, the film General Magic? Mm. Um, it's, yeah. it's incredible. It's about one of the greatest burnouts, flameouts in Silicon Valley history. It's the iPhone before the iPhone called General Magic. It's a documentary. I got to be with Tony when they were filming part of it in Manhattan because Tony's on the board and he's an investor in one of the startups that we helped kind of launch. But Tony, it's called, called Rohini, which is an incredible lighting company. But Tony went from Michigan to General Magic and he's like begged to get a job there, like doing whatever as an intern. But it was all these people who left Apple to mm -hmm. build the pocket crystal is what they called it. And the pocket crystal was a mix of like design. They were going to launch this way for you to be able to communicate to other pocket crystals, like send little pictures that represented words. They, they invented emojis and then mm -hmm. for you to be able to buy things and for you to be able to like send full letters across from device to device. And like they're building everything all at once for like the internet. It was this incredible story. Hundreds of millions of dollars and sold barely any units because they got beat by the uh, Palm Pilot. They just wanted to put contacts on a device. However, he came back and ended up becoming the guy that Steve Jobs tapped to build out the iPhone. The first gen or first gen of that, but even before that, it was the iPod, right? So he brought him in to do the music. Then he went on to do Nest. And this guy is so disciplined around brand and around user experience. Well, think Nest thermostats, right? Like the UI UX. He's the CEO obsessed. And he hired all his friends from Levi's and from Apple. And he's just like, Badass galore. I mean, his book Build is incredible. Like, if you want a fun book as somebody who's in your seat right now, you've got to get a hold of it. But his story, I couldn't help as you're talking, Eli, thinking about like, I wonder what badass things Eli's going to do over the next 20 years. Like, what companies might he start, things he might make as he's learning on this journey, and then decides he wants to take his like UI UX, his understanding of like some code, and then leverage his like brothers and his patent attorney sister, like, throw that in there too. To like build this brand that means something so deep. Um, so it's, it's cool that you're in this, this seat right now um, that you're in. Uh, it's, it's super special. I, I think it's, that's cool. Uh, but let's, let's do a weird pivot going from Eli, who's, by the way, you're also, you're interning with John Deere currently, right? Eli? Mm -hmm. Yeah, correct. Yeah. And, before, and before that, you had an internship with Apple in the UI, UX space, kind of learning and growing. And now... Yep. Let's go to the older brother first, and then we're going to jump to the middle brother because we're jumping like two decades, right? No? Yeah, we're just all over the place. That's right. I know. I know. I want to do that, though. Like, I want to yes. jump from like yeah. brother who's like not even 20 yet. And right? How old are you? Um, I'm are you like 11, 22. 10. <laughs> He's got some beard hair. How old are you right now, Eli? Uh, 22. Oh, never mind. I'm way off then. He's like, he's 22, but like 22 uh, to 43. Uh, yeah, about double the age, let's say that. So, um, yeah. yeah, so I started off like, I, like I said, I was homeschooled on a farm. My dad had a, an electronics lab. He was traveling for work. I would 
work on building his circuits. He would design circuits like Eli mentioned. He's a bit of an, an inventor. He has an incredible little lab. You think of like, I don't know if you know this, but like Tesla specifically lived in a hotel room and, and like built inventions out of his hotel room. That's not kind of like how our dad is these days. He's so happy. He's in his lab. He practically lives in his lab. And he's got all the lab equipment. Just imagine like a Tesla-like lab. And, and you mean and you mean Tesla as in like Nikola Tesla? It's, yeah, like Nikola Tesla kind Nikola of guy, Tesla right? Nikola Tesla was a real person. Yeah, and, 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 and our guy is all into ego. frequencies and dimensions and all this stuff. It's amazing. So, um, and so I kind of grew up in that type of environment and close to dad. And and so I was, would milk a goat and then do that. And then, and then I got a hand-me-down, my dad's old computer. And I put some little games on it, a little PCXT. And it was like, wait a minute these are boring. I want to program this. I'm going to make this stuff. So I got a book. I think I was eight years old, got a book on programming from the library, started writing code. I think at nine, I went to a, some open source convention and tried selling my flashcard software, open source, uh, shareware software. This, this is, is like back before, the, this is the back, 80s. Yeah, this yeah. is back yeah. before telephones were invented. Yeah, right. Yeah, barely. <laughs> I remember getting my first modem. It was like 1200 baht and getting on the internet and hacking, writing in my BBS, running a BBS and all that. And I loved it. I got into programming. And then in high school, one of the things our mom did really well is like finding opportunities for us. I think that's another thing. Like she found lots of opportunities for us. Even though it was homeschooled, she found a teach math teacher from the local high school and to teach some math. And there was a programming contest, got me into that. Um, it was the largest Texas state programming contest. I think 25,000 students across the state of Texas participate. And um, they're running teams of three. And then that particular year I got in, it was, a, my mom would fight hard. She was a fighter for us, she really was. And so she would fight hard to get me in because they never had a homeschooler in, in, in. And she would argue that it's in Texas is a legal school entity to be homeschooled. And so um, I entered that contest, I won. Um, third place in the state of Texas and the only person to ever place at all in Texas as a solo individual and the first homeschooler. And, um, and so that was fun. And then went to A&M and, uh, well, bro, and I, wait, can I interject? I think you should touch on, um, what you did for Christopher Moss in high school and that story. Oh yeah. Right. So be before high, thanks Joe, before high school and going out to, um, college, uh, went with my dad. He was working for a guy up in um, Idaho and spent a year up there designing the first storage of medical records onto what you now use as a payment card. So you have you have those, um, you know, the payment cards with a chip on it, little smart yep. chip, right? Those yeah. were designed for payment, but designed the first medical record storage system for those. So you could use it to store medical records and emergency records and built out a whole platform for that. Um, okay, did your dad, your dad had to have worked for the government at some point, like being in tech, <laughs> did, did he ever get tapped for government stuff being in like tech in the 60s and 70s? Yeah, right. He, he, he certainly has had his run around the government. He's always worried about <laughs> yeah. that. That's for sure. Them tapping that's into funny. what he's doing, but I was going to say, cause like being an independent, if he's like independent in tech that early, cause like a lot of tech was the impetus of, to be frank, it's like government trying to force the machine to make a better machine. So that we could communicate better and then there's like these weirdos who were like tracking it outside of the game and they're like yeah but we can do this with it over here was that your dad we're well like, my dad was certainly very very 
concerned about all that. Let's say, let's say he put a lot Whoa. of attention on being uh, being prepared in case something like that happened. Okay, okay. So, so I'm prepping uh, in the background. Yeah, but but so then so then I um and because I was doing uh, software and programming, and my dad was doing electronics. I got to work with him. I would write software to interface to his electronics. So he would create like a device to monitor manufacturing equipment and the manufacturer vibrations and motion and stuff. And then I would write the software to download that data and and visualize it for for his clients. And this is when I was in high school. Um, and then one trip went out to Mexico. Similarly, he, I, I built a, a, a bus system on a USB, or not USB, before USB, serial RS-232. It wasn't designed for buses, but I designed a protocol that would work. He designed the hardware. And together, within like two weeks, we built out this whole manufacturing industrial platform together to monitor um, women that were soldering the, the switches inside of automobile. automobile. Anyway, went from that to AM. And I thought at first I was like, I went to a Texas AM for school. At first I thought, um, um, man, I want to be in the business side. So, and anybody can learn to program is the way I, I took it. I, I learned when I was a kid. So anybody can program. So, um, so I, I studied computer business, but then I realized um, the hardest math class I had to take was how to program a matrix into your calculator. And just like how to push the right buttons. And I was like, oh my gosh, you can get a college degree just doing that? I'm like, not for me. Um, so I switched. I was the first person really in a history to switch from all the way from computer business to electrical engineering, computer engineering, which is essentially like a double major between computer with computer science and, and, and electrical engineering under the electrical engineering school. Most people start there computer engineering, electrical engineering. If they can't make it there, they go going to say you're going upstream. Like, yeah, the complete opposite. No, like- Take an easy path. Right. You're like, no, I'm a yeah. code. No, I'm, it was like- I'm blazing a trail for my siblings to Yeah, see my friends that couldn't make it in that went to electrical engineering. If they couldn't do that, they went to industrial or mechanical engineering, industrial engineering, and then computer science, then down the line to the business side. But it was, it was a good move for me. I had fun. And then the classes got hard. I was like, yes. I think that's another thing. We all got a, um, a dose of enjoying challenge. I don't know if you've noticed that, but we all did get a Joseph enjoying challenge. And, um, and then, and then that, that was funny. I, I was uh, one of the first, I got into this programming language. It was pretty new at the time called C sharp. I had a, uh, it was in beta testing by uh, Microsoft. And um, I had a, I, I got a contract to pay myself through school and needed a programming language for it. Java was pretty new. Didn't do hardware stuff. This had to interface with hardware. I had a lab in my, a little electronics lab in my college room where I would build electronics and then write the code to um, work with electronics. And at one point I had a bootleg FM transmission station where I could use my portable radio from anywhere around town, hit the right buttons on it and would check my email read it to me over the phone, over the, over the radio. This is before cell phones and I could change I the say, FM when, when station is, and it would change the here? station. And the, uh, you know, I could listen to different tunes and I could like go drive around town in my car with my friends and like change my radio station remotely. Was this like nineties? Yeah. Yeah. Nineties. Yeah. Mid nineties, early nineties. So, <laughs> so that was fun. And then, um, and then, and then Mike during, I started, so I started using C Sharp. I started talking about it, blogging about it. I wrote a book on it. I started starting user groups and stuff and was one of the first 40 C, one of the first 25 in the US, United States C Sharp MVPs, a Microsoft award for like a community leader. So from that, went to Microsoft, developed software development tools uh, for a while. It was like my dream job. I love programming tools. I love programming languages, got to work on it at Microsoft for six years. Um, and, and owned a bunch of the products there and then went to do startups, um, wanted to be in the startup scene, then did that for a while and then um, ran my own consulting business for a while. 
and then uh, decided to try the small company thing, did that for a little bit until I got a call from Amazon that said, hey, can we talk to you about running one of our teams? And I was like, all right, I'll talk to you. I talked to him a couple of times and they're like, okay, will you, will you come up and talk to us for in-person interviews? And it's like, no, no, thanks. I'm good. I'm, I'm here in Dallas. I'm happy. My simple little life. And um, kind of like what Joe and Eli were pointing to, one of the things I love about our parents is that um, I think they get got along better after they got divorced than before. And they still work pretty well together. And so thankfully I'm divorced too. And my ex and I are kind of like that too. So we get better along better, we get together along better now. And so she was actually the one who's like, no, like, that's amazing. That opportunity is incredible. You go for it. Um, we'll figure out a way to make it work with the kids and everything, which we did. And so then I went to back to Seattle for a second stint and worked on Amazon S3. So if your listeners are familiar with it, Amazon S3 is the, or AWS S3 is the largest storage platform in the world. Um, about 40% of the entire world's data sits on, on that platform, uh, according to the last Gardner report I saw. When you said you worked on it, what phase was S3 in? Was it like, hey, come work on this, we're building a thing? Or is no, it like, so this hey, is those, I, joined, don't yeah, know I joined AWS just six years ago. So, so S3 was well established, 10 years yeah. in the mix. Now I will say that, um, and, I, and I, I ran a team of uh, nine developers on a really core, the actual service that puts the bits on the drive and takes the bits off. Learned a lot about underlying hardware, let me tell you. And it was, um, but it felt like one of the services I owned was the elite system. So the tape bits off the drive. So it literally felt like having in one of those office uh, office space, easy buttons, you know, those round, easy, big buttons you hit. It goes, that's ah, easy. Felt like having that on my desk was the delete button for the internet. And um, that, that was intense. But we, we were able to put together some, I ran some programs to the, save so much space and so much data. I can't give numbers, it's proprietary, but that um, made such a huge impact that we were able to pass those savings back on to customers. And wow. it's not many people who can say they had a project where they passed, like reduced the cost so much to pass savings back. So that was fun. Um, wow. And then from there went into professional services, our prof AWS professional services consulting department on IoT which is really awesome because now I get to do my electronics and my software again. I, I, right over there is my electronics desk where I've got my oscilloscope and um, electronic bits and pieces and soldering stations and everything from my, from my dad's uh, encouragement and all my little IoT chips. I got to-go kits that I can just grab a kit and go and build IoT solutions on the way. And, and uh, yeah, so uh, and just made a, a, a principal engineer at AWS. So Congratulations. It's fun. That's a big deal. Um, something to a note on that is that also um, kind of like how Noah, you know, went from business to um, like programming. And I think something in our upbringing, our mother was very much on the humanities side. Um, she, you know, had art and teaching and um, infused that love to us. But then our dad was very much on the tech side. And I think that's something that, you know, I started in uh, computer science. I even did some math for a while. Um, but then ended up switching into art, which is a very different direction. Um, but I think we all share uh, a mix of um, kind of the business side of the, and the person, person, uh, what's that called? And, and, and like communication. And I think that's something that also our school, I think did a good job. It didn't even have, you know, tech or art. And I think that's one thing that um, sometimes people make as an excuse of, oh, my school doesn't provide this, so I can't learn it, right? Or like, I can't do that. Our school 
uh, was a classical school. So it didn't really have any of those types of classes, but we all learned it outside of um, the school environment. But I think those, uh, the abilities the school did teach us like critical thinking and kind of some, some of those humanities skills of being able to uh, also communicate well has been paid off a lot. Um, yeah, just has paid off a lot in pursuing technical degrees. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think you're, you're touching on something again. That's interesting. Your brother's story, Noah, you know, touches on it. It's like the ability to move into something challenging and move laterally in, in your education, knowing what you want and taking on challenge. I, I, you know, that is something that's modeled, but also it's something that's primal. If you really get to that, like, I like the idea of the phrase authentic primal self, because you have the, the consumer primal self which is one that's been like kind of manipulated. Don't play with that one. That, that person's disgusting. Like you'll do some weird things, but like the authentically primal you is the one that's like, Oh, there you are. No, I feel you. And I know you, you're the one that likes to do hard shit. You find joy in doing those things. Like you're the one who does the weird stuff. You like to dance. Like you like to just like go like climb a mountain. You love that stuff. And you're going to be able to today embrace my idea as I can go build a fence and tomorrow I can sit with somebody and listen to them and, and like hold them as they cry. Like there's this like primal self that it feels like was modeled by your parents. And you guys embraced the fact that life is more of a playground. It's not a prison. Like people like to think that life is some sort of bars that you're stuck under. But most people, they don't realize, no, you're flat on your back and those bars are monkey bars. You idiot. Get up and play. Get off your back. Like go swing. Those aren't. You know, you're not stuck. It's a jungle gym. So you, you two embody that. Let's see, Josiah, did you fail in your pathway of career? Like, do you not embody like the jungle gym of play or are we, are we three for three here on the, uh, the pros? Yeah. I don't know how I follow that up. Um, I, I'm pretty impressed that Noah could fit 20 years of career into about five minutes. <laughs> I mean, it's impressive, but like, let's not, let's not undersell you, man. Like you're now, you're now at, uh, what, how many years into like adulting out of college? How many, like two, three? Oh, is that when adulting starts? Um, I don't know. They like to call it that. But like my kids and I had this conversation, when is an adult an adult? Actually, uh, the other day, and we're like, uh, when, you're, when you're choosing to take on responsibility for your own life, by the way, thank mm -hmm. you for the, the phrase. So we can start at 13. But like the, the careering, let's call it yeah. that. You're out of college. So how mm -hmm. many years out now? Yeah, so I, uh, let's see, just over a year. Um, Pretty recent. Yeah. I spent six years in college. So Eli getting out in four and a half is uh, pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Six years here too. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So um, I, but I mean, I think, so I got uh, two de two degrees, three majors. Um, and I think that's just, again, kind of goes back to that love of learning. Like school is never, I, I really like how you encapsulated it with like the prison versus playground. Um, I do think like we grew up with a very playground mentality to life. Um, and I think that can, if you were to ever listen into a conversation between my dad and I, or my mom and I, to this day, um, we're talking about projects. We're talking about, my mom runs her own college consulting business now. She's editing books. So every conversation is just, it's literally like a play, an adult playground conversation, I feel like. And I love that. My, yeah. My dad's favorite subject is his projects. And so 
you know, whenever we call him up after we get through the, the, you know, the other themes in life, like it's like, okay, dad, what are you working on? And he'll go on and on about his project. So it really is a playground mentality. I totally agree with that. And so anyways, college was definitely a playground mentality to me, for me. Um, and, you know, I never, I never would have started college saying, oh yeah, like I'm going to graduate with three majors. That was never my intention. Um, but oh, hold would, on, hold on. Not only did he graduate with three majors, when he walked across the stage, I was at his graduation. He had more ribbons than anybody else. He graduated magna summa. What was it? Magna cum laude. Uh, yeah, too badass. He was like, he yeah, got his absolute like highest possible honors. honors with all the yeah. honors and honor society and everyone, everything. Mm. Like most people, that. they went by, they just they just announced their name. When they, Joe went by, Josiah went by, they were like, and Magnus McCauley, and this honors, and this honors, and this honors, and this Here's honors, and this honors. to the city and the university <laughs> and take over. Yeah. Joe's Joe, uh, the smart one. Uh, <laughs> thanks, bro. No. Um, yeah, I think it did just come from, like, the love of, like, wanting to just, there's a lot of classes I was interested in, and um, eventually they're like, hey, by the way, you have, like, enough class credit to get this degree and before long it was this degree and that degree and so yeah it was never really my intention um but so many cool things to learn about and um i guess i eventually had to get out uh but you know yeah there's there's just so much to learn about and and so many cool things to do on the side too you know so um yeah uh let's see but oh and also one of my like I, when I was in college and, you know, one of the cool things about being in computer science is you can start interning at like doing real work, like right your freshman year. And um, so really, I, I love like lots of experiences. I'm kind of an experienced guy and I like trying a lot of things. And so it dawned on me pretty early on that I'm like, wait, you're saying I can switch companies every three months and it be okay. I'm like, I want to keep this up as long as possible <laughs> because I'm like, if I do this, when I graduate, like, you know, it doesn't have the same connotation. Um, oh, wait, wait, once you graduated, I kept doing it. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Hold on, hold on. How many jobs have you had this first year? Go ahead. Yeah. Three. Yeah. Three. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I guess I haven't quite, quite got the message. Yeah. But, it, um, but it's not by the way that you got fired from all three. It's that you were this hot item because you're the cute kid with all the ropes and ribbons and you're like, uh, I know some things. I know how to make things happen. Like, what, yeah. what are the main skills you love to use that you, you've taken with you now? Or mm. actually, back up. Don't start there. What did you pick up during your internships that you found like in those final mm -hmm. years of college? Oh, yeah. 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 So, you know, the technical stuff for me actually didn't start in high school. Um, I did do robotics in high school, but besides that, my high school wasn't like a crazy STEM high school or anything like that. And I was, I was more so involved in leadership. I did uh, see like a love of teaching. I think a love of teaching is something that all of us code bros share um, really strongly. And, you know, I did find that in high school um, and I did take a test. So I have a sheet, a Google sheet, just a running Google sheet, you know, those like, you know, self-identification tests you take throughout your life. Like, strength finders or personality tests or like, um, you know, uh, for me, like uh, spiritual realizations I've had about myself, like these things, I actually have like a sheet where I've just kept all of it. 
Um, so whenever, and it's called my identity statement. And so whenever I'm like, who am I in this world? Like, I can just go back to this and be like, oh yeah, like that's why I'm here. Like that's what, Love it. yeah. And, um, and I have, a, does it have tabs or how does it work? It's not tabs. It's just like, yeah, it's just a sheet. And like, I have like my okay. strengths, my values. I have one that's titled my life is ideal when, and it just has like my 10 top things that like I need to make sure I have in my life. And I love it. And, and do you, do you adjust it? It, so it hasn't really adjusted. Like I might add, I, I haven't really adjusted it much for like the last refine like, it. As you're building, yeah. adding to it, refining it. Cause I think the um, uh, reason why I ask this is you know, a lot of people don't know themselves. Mm. And, and I agree that there's a, I have a statement. I like to play hide and go seek with myself. <laughs> so I'm like every day I want to play hide and go seek with myself and try and find that authentic primal me. Mm-hmm. And I think it's based on these core strengths, spiritual realizations, things you're mm-hmm. talking about right now. Mm-hmm. And um, I also don't know, you know, what I'm capable of yeah. physically, um, career wise. And I don't ever want to fully know. Um, but I do think there's a sense of identity. So I'm curious, I mean, that's why I'm asking like technical questions about this. Right. Uh, I think this matters for a lot of people. Yeah. So the, I think your, your vision can change your goals, even your sense of purpose definitely, I think can change. You know, I think one of the more recent realizations I've had for myself is that, um, you know, there's, I think a lot of talk about finding your deepest purpose and that's never like fully set in for me maybe one day it will but um recently i i actually heard like a twist on it which was find your deepest desire and (laughs) i sat on that for a little while and really it it hit me um really strongly that i have a certain deepest desire but my deepest purpose can change because like i mean when you're a dad maybe your deepest purpose is to be the best dad you can be to your sons Um, and if you're, or if you're, you know, you're just newly married, maybe your deepest purpose is to really like lean into this relationship and to strengthen and build that core. And so, I don't know, I kind of, I'm I'm not set on this, you know, some people maybe do have like that one thing that they feel like for sure they're put on this earth for. I, I don't know. I, I feel like that is changing throughout life. Um, but I do have like some core of who I am and what I can present to this world. And then, um, and my deepest desires in life or desire, and then the way that that manifests itself, even the purpose that it, I feel drawn to fulfill at this stage in my life can change. So that sheet is pretty unchanging, actually. I don't think I've changed it really since high school. Um, I've added a couple things to it, but it hasn't changed at all. Um, which is one of the cool things, uh, yeah, I've looked back on it sometimes after not looking at it for years. And then been like, oh my gosh, like I'm in this place that I thought I just kind of stumbled on and like looking back, like this is actually who I always was. Yeah. Yep. That's amazing. And, and, you know, from a skills, skills agency, using your skills to add value and beauty to the world, what did you unearth over this? You're not done, right? You're going to learn more skills, you know, things will change, technologies will change, but like what's the authentic skills that you've kind of understood about you and how are you using them right now? Like in the world, what are you, what are your internships? Cause you interned at a couple different places. Where were they? What'd you learn? Mm-hmm. How did you apply it now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, w- some of my, um, yeah. So in high school, I, you know, I took one of these kind of tests where you find out 
you fill out these statements by the end of it. It's a several day uh, workshop and you, you fill out one of the things you fill out is like, I value um, and, or I must be, or, and these kinds of things, like I must do this to, you know, fulfill myself and my purpose, my purpose and desires here. And one of them that was kind of um, interesting to look back on is that uh, it goes, and this is back in like 2014, uh, 2013. Um, and actually back in high school, I didn't think I was going to go into tech. Uh, I remember sitting down at a table with my mom and dad uh, before going to college saying, I think I want to go into computer programming. And they kind of laughed and they're like, Josiah, you've never sat in front of a computer for more than like 20 minutes in your life. You would hate that. Like you're too much of a people person. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. And so I didn't go into college for that. Um, but looking back on what I think carries over from high school and, and still plays out today is uh, it, it goes, I must gather large amounts of information so I can help people learn to develop a system that works. And today I'm a data scientist. And so it's taken on a very technical flavor to how to gather and how to make sense of large amounts of data and to design systems that help people um, and uh, design systems that work for people. Um, but, you know, in high school that played out in, in other ways, I was part of student government. And I mean, and when I became president of student government, I just spent an entire summer reading books and creating this entire binder about how we are going to do leadership development for, um, the other people in student government, how we are totally going to organize and design this, the, the best, most efficient type of student government that, that we've ever seen kind of thing, you know? And so I can see how um, knowing that about myself and kind of just tying back into like what Eli and Noah have been saying about how we are kind of pressed in high school and, and early on to kind of be challenged to find those, those edges and what really drives you. And then that can give you confidence later on, you know, even going into a technical field into data science um, that, hey, I really do like this stuff. And, and I can see this thread in my life. Um, that, that kind of just gives me a lot of joy and confidence that I'm on a path that is, like you're saying, kind of primal to me. You know, it's not just a cultural <laughs> thing or I'm not just doing it because it makes a lot of money, um, but it's something that's core to who, who I am and what I have to offer to this world. Yeah, I love that. And, and are you able to talk about like where you work currently, like on, on this podcast? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I'm at Tesla. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and before yeah. that, where were you? Before that, I was at... John Deere as a before that, that I was at GM as a uh, soft as a robotics engineer yeah before that I was researching at Carnegie Mellon as a robotics um, ML engineer because I thought I was going to go into PhD before that was Facebook before that was CIA before that was Microsoft and before that was um, continuous composites in Coeur d'Alene Idaho yeah come on man yeah. I love it I love, I love this for so many reasons because there's this really rich conversation happening around like decades of difference, um, transitions in family, spirituality, sense of self, skills, economics, raising your own children now, Noah. Um, you know, each of you holding on to identity, trying to trying to kind of wrestle with yourself too, like trying to figure out like what what, what identity do I really hold and have? And, and yet each of you choose to do hard things. And, and I think, you know, 
there, there's something there I want to explore around this idea of what the hell is happening around us. Because if you look at global narrative in media, it's terrifying because that's actually not representative of the people I meet on my blocks. And yet there's this like vibe and cultural thing happening in politics that seems really divisive. And we're seeing prime ministers quit after 40 days and really bad decisions around systems, <laughs> Josiah, gathering information and making decisions. We're in a, a weird economic moment, but it's not doom and gloom necessarily. If you're people in agency and you know how to build the tomorrow you want through community today, it's actually pretty fun. Uh, and so I, I kind of want to explore this idea of like, how did we get here? And how do we get out of here? Not only for ourselves, but others, because uh, I'll come back to saying this, you know, I call this podcast, the American dream factory. And I want to unlock this idea of like, what's off, where are the wheels wobbly? And how do we get back to this shared global experiment of people having agency to build the tomorrow they want and do the hardest things that force them to need each other again, and like build things that add value right in front of them. So I just want to start unpacking, like, what do you see is what's needed in the world from different generational lenses and different communities around the world? And like, Noah, let's, let's start with you. Cause like, you need your hand up and you're like, yo, call on me. Like I'm, I'm in, put me in. I'm like, I got to talk. So bombs to the ball to you. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. So um, there, there, there are two, I think there, there are many lessons that like we've used individually as brothers and we talk about and there are tools and, and there are um, um, philosophies, let's say, that we follow that I, I like to mention two of them because I think of, that ties into what you're talking about here because a big piece of changing the bigger system is making a great change on yourself and being the change you want to be in the world and being the example of what you want to feel and see in the world. And so there, 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 um, there are probably more, but two that really come to mind I wanted to touch on while we're together and, and with my brothers is one is you probably heard a, a real passion for personal development, knowing ourselves. Every one of us, each one of us has a list of books that we like to read, has a list of um, introspections we like to look at, um, does self-reflections. Um, Eli has a extensive way of like really looking close at himself and his relationships. Joe does too. I do too. We spend a lot of time. We do a lot of journaling. We turn to materials and leaders and teachers that we feel are really important and resonating so that we can be better people and grow more. And that sense of like personal development and really knowing ourselves well, um, I think is essential. I journal like out the wazoo. I keep notes on everything. And we each have our, our farm of that personal development. I think that's one of the key things that's needed to change the world. Um, on that, I'll throw in one other piece, which they can talk about too. Is it like, there was an, um, a sign, and one of my favorite quotes was, um, there was a, I, I'll tell you how I came across the story. When I was reading a little programming book when I was like eight, nine years old. I went to my grandfather's house and he said, what are you reading there? And I'm like, programming book. And he's like, tell me something about what you're reading right there. And I was like, it's too complicated. I can't explain it. And my grandfather gave this quote from the, from a sign that was on Einstein's desk. And it simply said, if you can't explain something simply, you don't understand it well enough. I personally went back and listened to um, Einstein's explanations to journalists about this mind blending new ideas he had. And he was a genius in how he explained it. Really fun to listen to. 
but that concept really hit me. And at first I was like, yeah, I don't like that. And I thought more and more about it. And I was like, yeah, that's really, really true. And it's a guiding tool that I use now. Um, I use it all over the place. I use it. I was telling some new financial concepts to my son and my partner, Martha, yesterday. And, and I would explain it. And I say, say to my son, I'm like, okay, how well did I explain that? One to 10. Or in this case, I was like, okay, that was not well explained, was it? I don't understand that well enough at all, do I? And then I try explaining it some more and teaching more people. And then it gets better and the understanding gets better. And this idea that my, my philosophy is like anything you take in is just entertainment. Anything you listen to, watch, whatever, it's just entertainment. It has to come out of you in some way, written, talked about, explained, teach in order to keep it, in order to integrate, in order to have it, in order to learn it. And so um, kind of like what Joe was talking about, mom being an educator, she was really big on encouraging that, right? And encouraging that, like, so I think most of each of us, like, did some form of teaching while we were in school, too, to learn the concepts. It's something I encouraged my kids, too. But this idea of, of keeping that cycle going, and I think that's, to your point, like, us changing some of these core principles in ourselves is what's going to change the bigger system. Well, you're talking about that idea of, again, consumption creation. Like coming back to that, like you guys are very disciplined around that as a family. And, and I want to ask because, you know, Noah, you said, you know how Eli audits his relationships and you know these things about Josiah. Most families, I don't know if you guys understand this, most families can't tell you anything remotely close to that about someone in their family. They don't not only know themselves, they don't know their siblings or their friends and their family members, their own children, authentically and well. What do you do to know that about Eli? To be honest, like I'm 21 years older than he is. He wasn't even around by, by the time I of college. And similarly so with Joe, how do you he know was like eight years him? old. Are you just creepy? And so, like you like follow yeah, him or like so, so you know, our like, family's always been good generally good at having family together and honestly one of the amazing things is that joe's like mr social he's the social one in our group and he's the one that's like we gotta get a bruise together bro trip and he started like traveling around the world when he was in college and then he's like i want to do this with my bros and then he started like he got us to go to japan together um uh, right before covid in 2019 the three of us went to japan together spent two awesome. weeks in japan before that we went to amsterdam and in in europe together he's playing ski trips like he's so good at it. and then when we're together we have you know honest open frank conversations and a lot of that's because of our beliefs and our childhood and our upbringing of like we Love don't it. want to talk about service level stuff we want to get to something meaning real it's it's meaningful it's really meaningful you know what, um, you know, Josiah uh, or Eli, either one, um, when you think about your peers and when you, you know, think about the state of, of affairs globally, um, it's easy to kind of just throw the, the baby out with the bathwater. I was just thinking about the, the people throwing soup on the paintings, like gluing themselves to the porch floor to like try and protest, you know, climate uh issues and i'm like god forbid like go build something that solves for climate issues solve for battery storage solve for these things like don't glue yourself to the floor of porsche which they then shut the lights out on them and like shut off the heat and walked away which is funny they just left them there uh, but my question is when you look around your peers 
that aren't creators, they're consumers, that are dissatisfied, that don't have agency, that um, aren't flourishing. Like, let's just be frank. There's, there's flourishing. They're not flourishing. You guys are both flourishing. How do you, how do you solve for that? Like, how do you teach others to flourish? Like, is there any hacks, tips, tricks that you're like, yeah, this is the answer. What? Yeah. <laughs> oh man. I mean, so when it comes to flourishing, um, I think all of us would actually say that, you know, relationships are first and foremost, and there's no question about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'll talk about it more during the summit, but, um, you know, I think success is first and foremost, those and happiness in this life is first and foremost, those that are closest to you, love and respecting you the most. And, you know, it's like, if everything else was taken away from me, if I just had those in my life that I'm closest to, um, to spend the rest of time with, I mean, that, that would keep me happy. And so, you know, that's one thing that simplifies life, I guess. Um, and also puts it into perspective and takes away a lot of it from, um, the, everything that's going on in this world. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, I'll just, I guess, leave it at that. If Eli. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is something I'm, I'm definitely passionate about, about, uh, I first off, always prioritizing relationship is like top priority in my life. And so, uh, there's some things I, no matter how busy my schedule, I always do. Um, for example, like Thursday nights, we have a men's Bible study where we get together, talk, uh, discuss, you know, the Bible, which is a really great opener to discussing deep topics, uh, man to man, and like really getting into our, our lives and opening up. And then also just hanging out with people, right? And, and having that community and that relationship. And so that's something um, that throughout college, not compromising on and, and making sure, and then also being recently married, Uh, having, you know, every Sunday trying to be sure that I get everything done before then. um, And so that way I can have a full day, you know, for my wife, right. And, and for us to spend together and on Wednesday nights, having a date night where, and even in our dating life, kind of marrying that where every Monday, um, no matter how much school or anything, you know, we'd always have a date and and we'd always spend that intentional time where push everything else off. Um, So that's, that's, and, and alongside that, I think, Something I'm very passionate about is this idea of, uh, of open up, opening up discussion between people of diverse backgrounds and opinions. And, uh, and kind of, I love, so Barbara Mueller, the person who's, uh, who, who started Gizmo, she's working right now on a project um, that is, the goal is, yeah, one stop, one small step, and it's to like, connect people from diverse backgrounds. But I think what the culture needs is kind of this ability to sit and debate with other people, uh, other uh, thoughts and other backgrounds and other opinions and be okay without agreeing, you know, being okay, still love them, even though there's disagreements. And I think one of the biggest, um, there's so much division in our community because people can't, uh, I guess, you know, time belief or what you believe with your identity and your self-value and you're not, you're not able to separate those, right? So if someone contradicts something you believe, you also feel like they're, uh, they're attacking you as a person, right? You're not able to separate those. And so you're not able to uh, have 
really, you know, um, important debates. And I think it's also this uh, demonizing or like uh, angel, I don't know that the opposite angelizing, yeah. uh, like celebrities or, Sanctifying. you know, Sanctifying. yeah, I think there's this idea of, you know, either a person is good or they're bad. Um, I just watched a film, Princess Mononoke, recently. It's a it's a Japanese anime film. Um, but what I love about it is that it shows there's no villain in the story. They're all people with their own motivations, and there's good and you know bad things in each person. But they're all just people, and they're all just humans trying to do their best, right? And I think that's something that uh, our culture really needs to kind of be able to you know sit down with someone of who doesn't see eye to eye with you and be able to have those discussions and be able to understand them. And maybe you don't agree with them, but I think at least you can understand, right, where they're coming from. Um, and so in my own life, you know, trying to keep um, being, having those discussions with my own close friends about things we might disagree with um, or just having and, and being able to, you know, have friends that maybe aren't in the same um, sphere or, or opinions as you and being able to have that open discussion and and I think that's one thing that our our culture is moving away from or I don't know if we ever had it but I think it's something that we can always work towards is being able to um oversee differences and see kind of the humanity in each one of us and uh and then I mean uh yeah just love people because they're people and not uh yeah and, and overlook differences in beliefs I love your priority of relationships and how you hold on to Bible study. Do you do it with friends in at the university or do you do it with their brothers? Like, that's another question I have for you. Um, so this group is uh, friends in my university, uh, people cool. I've grown up around. Um, yeah. I love it. But love it. On, the, on the topic of brothers, uh, we do uh, try to be intentional, I feel like, uh, with each other in terms of keeping relationship, even though we're far apart. I, you know, call my brother Josiah sometimes when I'm on my walks back from school uh, or walking to school or my brother Noah and I have been doing uh, some Marco Polos where we record voice messages, kind of touch base of what we're up to. Yeah. And then obviously the trips are a really great way for us to connect and kind of maintain that um, in-person connection, but then still being in contact with each other when we're not, yeah. you know, living near each other. Well, okay. well, oh, go ahead, no. Yeah, I'll add in. one thing to that. It's one thing that I think is really amazing too is that sometimes on our trips, um, there's enough honesty and willingness between us and in, in respect that, like, there are times when I've said something that was, let's say off kilter or, or hurt feelings or approach or something. And Joe's actually been willing enough to come aside and be like, Hey bro, like what you said over there kind of hurt my feelings or I can tell like it wasn't really helping Eli. It was, it was kind of attacking what he was, what his heart and like that willingness to be that honest, like that's bold and that's brave to tell anybody that, but to tell somebody mm -hmm. like that in your family, like that's, that's just really beautiful. Like what kind yeah. of, connection does that show that you have the ability to be like hey that 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 hurt you know that's like it's not that you're particularly bad or wrong but just let you know that like that approach is really is uh, more device divisive than it is bringing us together well it's it's a belief in something greater than yourselves too that you, you guys have a shared mission you need to hold on to and so you're willing to deal with those things because you have something that you you're, you're aiming towards together 
And I'm sure some of that, like for Josiah, probably comes back to your sheet of like, these are things I won't let go of. And so by knowing what you want, you're able to prune, audit, and address things that don't align with that, that won't stack towards that. And if you didn't know, you might put up with more shit. And like, but, but because you know, you're like, wait, 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 that's not going to get us there. And there's a there that you're aiming for, which is um, such an important thing. I think humans are funny because we tell ourselves stories. Animals don't, right? So like they're there, it's just like surviving, reproducing, mm-hmm. eating, playing. And so like they're there, if something's not aligned with it, like they'll just address that thing because it's like, it's, it's primal. So we have like a primal sense of family and these things. And then we have the narratives we tell ourselves. That's where it gets mucky. And you do a really good job trying to sit with your narrative and sit with your like primal self and find that, that flow and how to give it words and then how to give it action. And it's fun listening to, to um, action and, and, and playing with that to, to find like, how do you really give, give context to what you believe? Um, today I was with my son on his field trip and there was a dad standing there and a little girl walked past it, a, a, another little girl and said, what happened to your face? And the girl goes, oh, a cat, a cat attacked me. And then at my son, he goes, yeah, a cat got her. And they all knew. And the dad was like, oh, can't say that in the real world anymore, huh? And I was like, well, no, you can. I just think you tell yourself you can't. Because like, if you came up to me, he's like, what happened to your face? I'm like, oh, this. I'm like, we want that honesty. We want that vulnerability. And yet there's this like weird meta narrative running wherever it comes from. There's a lot of places we could point to, but it's beautiful. And I use the word not lightly. It's beautiful to see three brothers who can be vulnerable, honest, and bold like that and know who they want to be as men and know how they want to pass that legacy on and build upon it, not only for themselves, but for the people around them and for those who come after them. And, and that is um, super important, not only for yourselves, but you're modeling something really great for the employees at Apple and for the you know folks at Amazon, the folks at Tesla. Uh, and this isn't about, you know, doing it for the others. It's about being authentically you and chasing that, like that thing, but coming back to like, let your light shine. Like, you know, as a little kid, um, that that's the goal, right? doesn't matter if you wrap it in a narrative of religion or give it a dogma. It's there's something that's right as we're building some future we all believe in. And, and maybe it leads to a heavenly experience an ecstatic experience beyond here that we call a place Maybe it doesn't. I'm not going to try and define that. That's not important. But the thing is, like, cool seeing three brothers who have three different spiritual beliefs. Because I guarantee you all don't believe the same thing anyways. Even if you believe in the same brand, your version of that brand is different a bit in your core. So really stinking cool. Um, yeah. You know, just that you're going to say something. Go, can go, 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 go. There just real please, quick please. To kind of tie together what you're saying, Eli and Noah. Um, I think, like, when it comes to put relationships and conflict management, like, you know, it's one of the oldest um, tips in the book, literally tips in the book, because uh, crucial conversations, you know, is a, is a hallmark um, on this. And, you know, it talks about uh, shared sense of purpose and the pool of meaning, shared meaning, you know, and I think that's something that um, I wanted to kind of tie together with Noah 
and Eli, Noah was talking about it internally to our trio, but then also I think Eli was just extending that to um, how we approach and how we think like people will get along better is, you know, I think we have a very strong pull of shared meaning and shared purpose, you know, and I think we all see each other as, um, you know, flawed people, but people that want the best, have the best intentions for each other and for their own life and for those around them. And they really do want to show their love. And, um, you know, and we don't always like know how to do that perfectly. Um, but like, we want to grow and we want to learn. And I think that makes it so much. And, you know, to, to Noah's point, he said, like, I was able to bring that up. Well, you know, he's able to create that safe space for that. And I think just overall, we have that safe space for us to share these things. And we have that shared sense of purpose. And so it's kind of like, oh, I'm like sharing, if I'm sharing something, it's because I think someone would want to know because like they want to grow and, you know, and, and there's kind of, I think ideally it's, it's hard to extend that um, out, but I, I think that's what Eli's talking about too. It's like, you know, if we could sit down, yeah, trust. Yeah. If you could sit down with another person and say, and build that shared sense of purpose and that shared sense of meaning and see kind of beyond the differences that you have into like, well, we really kind of want the same thing. Um, we just might have different ways of going about it. Then yeah. it would make, like these kinds of conversations a lot easier easier and you know I, I, i'm a big believer that if you ask anyone doesn't matter if they're struggling mentally and homeless or a billionaire and struggling mentally and have too many homes um <laughs> I, I think legitimately if you ask people like do you want a life where you create more beauty and value for yourself and others, like everyone resoundingly will answer yes. Like, the, and they have a sense of what beauty means and looks like. Cause some people are like, well, define beauty. It's like, screw you, you see it in nature and I do too. And like, we wanna like try and get all nitpicky on like what's beauty, what's value. But truly when we sit with it, there's just like this feeling of awe and beauty and value. And, and I think what you're talking about is a shared mission. You wanna pick a shared mission that everyone can rally behind? Use your life force to create beauty and value in the world. That moves economies forward. It moves communities forward. It moves societies forward. It moves us into a closer relationship and connection. It's a very beautiful, um, you know, bat signal to humanity. It doesn't matter your flag. You actually can embrace that, that kind of concept. And how we get there, that's where it gets sticky. But I think if each person starts to focus more on themselves to like, how do I add more beauty and value and ask others to help me? That's a vulnerability of letting others in. And, and having a shared mission there to where you want to trust each other. And it takes practice and testing. You know, to that point, though, I have a question. And this might be a, a nice landing pad because I know we got a hard stop in like 11 minutes. You know, and I may want a few seconds to like say thank you to guys you know, after this. You know, but, um, you know, if somebody was actually struggling in their life, they're like, I hate my job. I shit relationships. I'm poor. Um, I don't have hope for my future. Like that's a large segment of society, right? And we all know like, sure, they could get more sleep, eat better, and that'll improve their, their scale of depression and anxiety actually better than medicine would. I hate to break that for people. Like if you're not sleeping well, like, you know, read the books, read the data, read the research on the FDA around the medicines. It's not great. It helps a little, but like there are other things you can do too to like unlock you and unleash you. 
But if people aren't flourishing, if they don't really have hope for their future, I want each of you to answer this. What would you say as encouragement to that person? Like just like advice, encouragement, a push, a thing. And is there a text or a book that you would say, or and if don't give me Bible, give me a section of the Bible. Get get granular if you're going to go there, Eli. And I want you to because I want you to go specifics. And um, so, is there like a text or a book or a thing, or a person you think they should study, or or just um, a self exploration? So encouragement and like a text or a thing they could read. Um, does anybody want to go first to talk to this hopeless person? Who's like, I want the American dream. I want to have, and not as a branded consumer thing. I want the American dream as like an identity where I have agency over my life and I'm building the tomorrow I want with friends. Like anybody for, for the first pass. I'll, I'll go. Um, yeah, so I would say I have some friends in a situation around this. This is Noah. So I would say like the first place to start is look at what you're taking in. What you're taking in, what you're thinking is gonna influence your thoughts, gonna influence how you feel and just look at what you're taking in. Probably taking in stuff, music, look at the lyrics in your music. Look at the content you're watching on television. Look at the things your friends are saying. And then the number one piece of advice there and just take inventory of that, just awareness, it'll start to change. The number one thing there is when I get in a slump too, Put on some motivational YouTube. Just look up motivational YouTube. That's it. Especially, um, uh, it works particularly well, I think, as a guy. But you, um, if I'm feeling down in the dumps, if I'm having a hard time or something like that, that's a great starting spot. From that, it doesn't really matter what it is. Anything that motivates you. From that, things will start to open up. And just watch where you let go of that. Like, when you let go of that, you're probably falling back into some old rut. Start with that and other things will come. The books will come, the people will come, the materials will come, the ideas will come, the, the, that. But change change your state first by um, what you're taking in. I love that. It's really good. Who's next? Who's helping hopeless person who's listening? That was really good. Um, I don't mean to be a broken record here, but I think finding like a good relationship. I think one of the big things that's research has shown for um, poverty alleviation that would help more than anything else is bridging the gap between those who are um, uh, are experiencing material poverty and those who aren't. Um, there's really a huge gap there. And, you know, I think the same could be said for those experiencing spiritual poverty or emotional poverty um, that you kind of flock to the same kinds of people. And so I think relationships are one of the things that are most um, deeply fulfilling. I think it strikes besides spiritual fulfillment, I think, you know, emotional relational fulfillment is the most core thing that we need. Um, we also need a sense of purpose and, and especially as guys, like some, some career, career purpose, but I really think like, but I mean, yeah, if, like if you have, if you don't have like that person in your life that you feel like has you no matter what, um, everything Noah said, yes, yes, yes. Um, but yeah, finding, I think that person, um, and yeah, I think, you know, I, so I'd say relational, um, fulfillment and, and spiritual fulfillment. Um, I don't know if, you know, if you're not part of a church or, um, some sort of spiritual fulfillment, I also think that is something that's very, 
core to who we are um, and goes deeper than uh, or very deep um, is kind of that feeling of that deeper sense of like why we're here and what we're doing um, and our purpose. What would you read? Do you have a text or like a thing you'd read or suggest the person to read? Um, you know, I think a book that's a very, e a very non like religious read that I think anyone would enjoy. It's very whimsical is one called um, Love Does by Bob Goff. Um, it's a very easy, fun read. Uh, the stories are crazy out there. Um, it's definitely a feel good read. Uh, Bob Goff is like a Christian, but he's definitely not in your face. Um, he doesn't really like talk about any uh, religious stuff in the book. It's just very um, like, it just makes you want to be a better person. Like he's just one of those guys that's done crazy stuff on this earth and, um, and is loved really recklessly and loved in abandonment. And um, it's definitely gotten me to change my lifestyle and invest in relationships and, um, and just when I, I, actually have a whole calendar right here every day when I'm brushing my teeth let's see if I can every day when I'm brushing my teeth I get a little quote from the book I, I love it that much um so like here's one wait did you make that calendar or did no somebody... no you can buy it okay buy I'm just making it. sure yes. I feel like something a code would do to be like I'm gonna make a calendar for everybody. yeah you know that is yeah ask no sometime about his uh walls in his house I got walls full of things one of the things I do every month is I write down my next 15 moves on calendar. I have my sheets for October. I'm focused on checklist. Yeah. 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 That's no, good. it's really good. good book. It's good. Uh, so like one, one quote, just to give people a taste of what it's like. Um, he says, I think God's hope and plan for us is pretty simple to figure out for those who resonate with formulas. Here it is. Add your whole life, your loves, your passions, and your interests together with what God said he wants us to be about. And that's your answer. Cool. And would you classify yourself? Are you, would you classify yourself as a Christian? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And Noah, what would you classify yourself as? I would say that I absolutely love Christianity and love the teachings. And I love it a lot more now than I ever, I think I did before. I went through a period where I was like, I don't know about that. And now I appreciate yeah. it more than ever. But I would consider that I um, I wouldn't have a particular thing to put my finger on, but I enjoy a lot of teachings from Buddhist teachings and um, Hindu teachings and, and Christianity. I love seeing the threads that tie them all together. It's amazing. You don't realize how big and incredible of a world and how magical God's power is throughout all of creation. It is, I think, until you get a chance to really start to see how the things all connect together. It's incredible. Yeah, I was curious. It's like uh, coming from a Judeo-Christian like family. It's interesting to see how each of you are exploring it. But the the importance you're saying, you know, of seeking that out, having practices around it, is an important thing. Uh, and a great book, Bowling Alone, talks about the collapse of that, and what we lost um, in society, and even a quote from Nietzsche about the uh, death of God. I think one of the saddest uh, things, yeah, is that people who just automatically close their heart off. It's yeah. like, oh, that's not for me. I'm not going to look at that. I don't like that. Or, 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 or they had a bad experience. And so, like, keep your heart open. What does work? What does resonate? Can you 
move past the hurts and the and the angst and the frustrations and the hurts. I think the majority of our pain and suffering in this world is caused by people not being willing to slow down, feel what feels uncomfortable, and look at why, and find a way through it. Yeah, Eli, sending us off. If somebody's like, my life sucks, man. What should I do? What should I read? Uh, well, I guess to uh, what Noah left off on, I think is kind of what I wanted to pick up on um, is I think for me, one of the biggest things that has helped me get out of tough spots when I'm in them is uh, just being honest with myself about where I'm at. I think is the most helpful thing for me is not criticizing myself or not being down on myself about where I'm at, but just taking an honest look at where, and, and just being honest, whether it's, you know, in my spiritual life or in my own personal life, just being, um, here I am, like, this is where I'm at with this. And, you know, that's just like, that's a fact. It's not necessarily, you know, good or bad, but it's like, okay, I can see where I'm at. And then where do I want to be? Right. And how, what do I want change? And being able to kind of look at that objectively, objectively, and being able to um, be, yeah, like kind to yourself, right? Or like be, uh, be, yeah, it's like, it's okay, wherever you are, it's okay where you are. There's probably, you know, everyone has such different backgrounds, such different uh, upbringings and environments. And so, you know, for someone who, you know, for maybe some of us, it's like, it's easy for us in a way to be where we are because we had a great environment I think that we were brought up in but it's okay if that wasn't you and it's okay if that wasn't your experience growing up it's like you can see where you are and see where you want to be and and um and I think each person needs to evaluate themselves by themselves about and, and you know someone's movement from being homeless to getting, um, you know, uh, their first job or something that could be astronomically more awesome and so great, so much more amazing than, you know, me getting a job at Apple because it's your experiences where you are and, and that leap for you might be a much greater leap than for someone who that, you know, is already kind of on their path. And so, um, so yeah, be okay with where you're at, be okay with your experiences, your background that all, you know, is, makes up who you are today right and, and that and then use what you um have at your disposal to make the future you want to have yeah and do you have any text that you think people should read or you know more more of um so i'm definitely more on the classical literature side uh than the self-help I, I still like some of those um so i don't know if it's as motivating maybe as uh other texts okay. but one of my favorite books is <laughs> okay one of my it's favorite fun. books is fahrenheit 451 okay. um and i love it because i think it models really well how to live a uh the difference between a life of hurry and a life of like leisure and being living at your own pace and and also the difference of, uh, I think a lot of the pitfalls that people today fall into um, in their life. And then how can you live a life of intentionality, of relationship, of, uh, of um, yeah, yeah, of, of like a- Depth? Yeah, a life of depth um, compared to a life of hurry and just one thing to the next. And so 
a really great book. Um, it is a little, it. it's a little dystopian though, so it's not for It's everyone. okay though. I, I, love I, it. I can't tell you how grateful I am for this discussion, uh, your vulnerability as brothers, the conversation. It was super fun. Um, deep, deep gratitude to the three of you. And I can't wait to have you out at the summit in Victoria, Texas with the innovation collective community of a lot of people who are, are finding that authentic sense of self and how to, to march towards that tomorrow they want. So your mentorship there will mean a ton, but um, just what you modeled here and what you're gonna share there will be totally different, but what you modeled here, not just for our communities, but for um, hopefully others that maybe you share this with, like this is super cool. What you guys are doing as a family is special. And I know you probably maybe know that, but just hearing it from somebody who similarly travels the world, uh, has been in and out of big companies and politics and nonprofits and churches and things you see, even in churches, it's rare to find people who are disciplined about the future they want and are ruthless about holding on to those things and keeping sheets, you weirdo, and writing things on your wall, you weirdo, and holding to date nights with you know, your community, you weirdo. So like, keep being weird in the best ways. Uh, you guys are weird, the code bros. And I'm grateful to know the three of you. And, uh, and I'm excited to have you, but thank you. Thanks for joining us. Awesome. Yeah, thanks, Nick. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been yeah. awesome. Yeah, enjoyed it. Well, that is a wrap. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with the Code Brothers. It's pretty fascinating to listen to three different individuals who are all working in big tech, contributing in a major way from machine learning to IoT to design, yet have very different brains, very different perspectives on spirituality, very different perspectives on many things, yet at their core, they value family, they value contributing their skills, learning new things, and they value, value, value education. At the end of the day, they're living out what we would like to call the American dream. And I say that and emphasize this, that the American dream, again, it is not some sort of marketing cliche that helps you or makes you desire to have more cheap items, to have all the perfect things that make you compete with your neighbors. The American dream is actually you creating the tomorrow you really want through community today. And when I say really want, ask yourself the hard questions. Are you the kind of person you really want to be? Are you creating the kind of things for this world that you really want to create? At the core of everyone, there's this craving and a longing to build things that add beauty and value to this world. You want to be a more beautiful and valuable person. You want to create more beauty and value. The Code Brothers are on a journey refining who they are so they can express that beauty and that value in this world. They know core things they hold on to and they grow daily. Hopefully this challenges you to find a community where you can sharpen that part of yourself and be a greater contributor to the economy and the world and to be a greater contributor to your own life. If you need help with this, please check us out at innovationcollective.co. We have communities all across the United States where you can find people that are going through experiences weekly that are book clubs, their personal growth groups, 
They are fireside chats. There are idea sharing sessions. There are pitch nights for venture capital. We're tied in with venture capital funds across the country to fund people like you with great ideas. We are tied in with real estate developers where there are apartments, co-working spaces, and offices all across the country. And we have a really cool software product that's getting ready to drop called Build cities.com go check it out that we've been working with the team there it's a way to connect everybody through an ios and android app and a web app Um, we'd love to have you as a part of what we're building simply because we believe that the answer to fixing our political issues our healthcare issues our mental issues in this nation come from one thing you need to start owning the road you're walking on stop blaming others and find a community that walks with you on that path forward so please plug in with us yes are there other things that can be done to help with those problems sure but one of the most important things we can do is realign our lives so that we can live big meaningful journeys that when it's all said and done we know that in the quote from thoreau most men live quiet lives of desperation and go to the grave with a song on their heart we want to live big lives so that when we do go to that grave we know we sang our song we might need some help we're here to help you. But these Code Brothers, they're singing their song. Come sing your song too. If you want to come meet them and be a part of the summit, we have the summit in Victoria, Texas. And the dates are January 20th and 21st in Victoria. We also have a story summit in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, January 6th and 7th. That's uh, focusing on robotics and AI there. Victoria is on the future of energy and ag. And we also have a summit January 27th and 28th in Brooksville, Florida, focused on the future of aging. Each of these have different experts coming in out, like the Code Brothers, uh, but we definitely would love to have you plug into our community. It's a fun, global community of a bunch of nerds building a better future. I'll shut up now, and I hope you have a good day. And more importantly, I hope you take this with you and make little adjustments to your life that leave you believing, knowing, and walking confidently on a path towards the future you really want. Reach out to us at innovationcollective.co if you do need some help. And we'll talk to you later.